I wouldn't be anywhere right now if it wasn't for all the stories I'd unearthed from the people I've interviewed. DigitalMarketingRadio.com The Big Interview with David Bain Is it possible for a brand to be a good storyteller? What are some of the most important lessons that you can learn by interviewing over 150 successful entrepreneurs? And how do you implement storytelling into your digital marketing mix? Those are just three of the questions that I intend to ask today's special guest, Matthew Turner, aka Turndog. Matthew, welcome to DMR. Thank you ever so much, David. An absolute pleasure to be here. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on board. Well, Matthew is an author, a brand storyteller and a speaker who spends each day discovering, creating and sharing inspiring stories. And you can find him over at turndogmillionaire.com. So, Matthew, why Turndog? (laughs) Well, Matthew Turner is a fairly common name. So when it came to... Um, creating my business and I suppose my online persona in particular I wanted something that would stand out and my turn dog nickname goes all the way back to when I was about 16 years of age back in my rugby days and one cold rainy Wednesday afternoon evening I think it was maybe a Thursday this guy called Luke Garnett who I've known from a very young age just randomly said turn dog pass me the ball and everyone was rather confused, myself included, because, well, I'd never been called it before. So we both took a bit of a um, some banter and ribbon for the rest of the evening. And that name just kind of stuck from then on in, in terms of rugby. And it spilled over into other social circles. So I've always used Turndog um, for a lot of like online usernames. And my first ever email was Turndog underscore 18. And yeah, Turndog's always kind of been a part of me since. So when it came to creating that business and that brand and that online persona, it was like, wow, it has to be Turndog. <laughs> okay, uh, it's funny the things that stick with you through life. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, oh, yes. So is it possible for a brand to be a good storyteller? Because I know that um, um, you're you know, probably most prominently known for um, storytelling. So um, is, is it um, just as easy for a brand as it is for an individual to be that good storyteller? Well, absolutely. I mean... It it needs the people behind the brand to really embrace the idea of storytelling. So it's got to always be driven by the people behind it. And But a story can take on so many forms. And in terms of brand storytelling, it could be the individual behind a brand, maybe an inspiring entrepreneur, you know, something like Richard Branson or Marie Folio maybe comes to mind there. Or it could be a cause behind the brand. So someone like... Tom's, for instance, would fit that. But really, it's just about unearthing the who and the why, you know, so who's behind a brand, you know, who makes that tick, you know, whether it's an individual or whether it's a set of staff, the entire culture the brand is about, and why they're special and why people should take an interest. So it's not always about the things that are on the surface, it's things that go beyond that. And um, so, yeah, brand very much can be a storyteller. They just have to figure out what makes that brand unique and helps them stand out. If that occurs, then, yeah, good things can happen. So does that brand then have to have individuals to put their face to that brand so that um, um, other people can obviously interact with that brand more effectively and more personably? 
No, absolutely not. I mean, I always think we we associate well with people. So whether it's an individual or whether it's a collective um, set of people. So, you know, for instance, um, someone like a, a, a company like Buffer, for instance, are really well known for their company culture and someone like MailChimp too. It's not about a particular individual, but it's just about that idea that people help make this brand what it is. And without those people, it would be very difficult for the brand to be as personable and, and relatable as it is. So, you know, people often play a huge role, but a brand doesn't need to have, you know, individuals' faces to make it, you know, a key storyteller. You know, it's just about this idea of getting their message across in a way that's going to really evoke emotions in the customer or the audience or the consumer. And that can take on so many forms. Okay, I think those are two really good examples there because um, MailChimp, um, that, that immediately springs to mind as a brand that's very social, but it's a brand that offers email marketing services and you don't necessarily think of email marketing services um, immediately off the top of your head as, 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 as a brand that would necessarily be social, but they've done an exceptionally great job at it. Um, I mean, I remember um, kind of years ago um, um, being with um, Aweber and Aweber are, you know, a, a great email marketing service as well. Um, but um, I think in terms of popularity, MailChimp have even surpassed them. And um, I'm sure the fact that they're so social and good at telling stories themselves has had a large part to do with that. Yeah, because, I mean, the thing that I always tell people, you know, an idea can be copied, a style can be replicated, you know, products can be replicated, everything like that. But your story, whether you're an individual or you're a, you know, you're a large brand, you're a large business, that story is unique. No one can ever copy that. It's yours. It's completely your own. You don't need to patent it or anything. So if you're able to embrace it and really uncover what your key elements are, you know, those core values, that big UVP, whatever you want to call it, the key message, the thing that makes you special, and you can start creating and sharing that with, you know, your ideal audience, then people are going to flock towards that. And when people flock towards it and they develop loyalty, they're going to endorse it, they're going to share it. And I think MailChimp's just a perfect example about that. It connected with a certain type of individual who then shared it with more people and they were happy to do so because it was fun, it was relatable and it really helped capture their imagination and capture their emotions because, you know, they used colour, they used humour, they used things that, you know, just invited them into the entire process. You felt like you were part of the MailChimp family rather than just a customer. And what if you're a brand um, that's had a bit of a, a bit of success, but probably through conventional marketing approaches? Uh, maybe they've been successful online, but largely by buying traffic through places like Google AdWords. Um, how would you encourage a brand like that to move towards storytelling? Um, a brand like that, I often say, well, in terms of sort of trying to direct someone and create something on a website, I, I say start with the about page or, you know, maybe make your entire homepage your about page and turn that into a story. I mean, the real beginning of everything is to really take a step back and think, right, I need to first of all discover what my story is. The process I take clients through and when I talk about storytelling is first of all discovering, that's the first step, then creating and then sharing. So you need to discover who you are and why you're special and what really makes you tick. 
then you need to create something in a way that completely captures who you are and it's something that's unique and very much your own. And then you need to share it with the right people because it's not about just connecting with any audience, but really defining what your key audience is and those people who are going to become rabid and loyal followers. So if you're capturing traffic from you know, Google Ads or Facebook or anything like that, and you want to really start connecting with those people who come to your site, I say start with the About page and, and, and turn it into something quirky and unique. First of all, never ever use third person. I come across so many of these About pages that talk in third person. Mm. And it is just an immediate turnoff. Sure, it's informative. It's fun to talk about your awards and how good you are, but nobody really cares. It's a time for you to capture because, generally speaking, most websites, at least when you take away all the blog posts, the About page is up there in terms of their top five most visited pages. Well, people land on your site. You've captured them in the first eight seconds or whatever, you know, the um, the done sort of second count is in terms of capturing people's attention. Well, then they're going to want to know more. They've been hooked by your website, your style, your your content, whatever it may be. Well, now they want to know who you are and what makes you a bit different. They're looking for reasons to actually stay for 30 seconds for a minute. So they click on your about page. And this is an opportunity to say, like, this is who I am. This is my story. This is my key, unique message. So I always say, like, start at the about page. Quite often it's an afterthought for web developers. That's where I start. I'm like, no, start at the about page. Make that as amazing and immersive and relatable as possible. And then allow the rest of the site to take form from there. And usually a multimedia approach is good. So use things like um, videos. You know, the less text, the better. I hate it when I go on an about page and there's just miles and miles of text. You know, break that up with visuals, presentations, you know, infographics of some kind, videos, audios. There's so many ways to help tell your story. There aren't really any rules. And I always say just about every single about page needs to take a multimedia approach. It shouldn't all be text. And there are so many approaches to really capture that. But if you start with the about page on your website, you know, and take it from there, good things can happen. So talking about um, a multimedia approach, you've also recorded a few videos yourself as well. And I'd like to uh, embed one of them um, within the magazine for uh, magazine readers. Um, So do you want to um, tell the audience a little bit about um, the video that we're going to be embedding? Yeah, well, there's lots of videos on my website. I'm I'm a huge fan of video. Even though I'm a writer, I always kind of take the less amount of text, the better. You know, share it through visuals, share it through videos. And I think the video that you're going to embed is the one that just gives you a bit of a quick intro into my latest nonfiction book, which is called The Success Mistake. And that video is just a bit of an intro into what it's all about and how uh, readers can start being part of the journey now because I'm opening up the entire writing process, inviting people to you know, learn all the ins and outs, what it's like to actually write a book. People are going to see all the deleted snippets, help me choose the cover, help me design everything, the whole... Um, kitchen sink as you will so that video is very i think it's around about 60 seconds intro into that and it leads into the to the landing page so i think that's the video you're going to share um so yeah it's yes absolutely quick, quick little one great no we'll incorporate that just below this section within the magazine but um in terms of your book the uh, success mistake um is, is that the book that um you've interviewed um over 150 successful entrepreneurs for sure is Okay, wow. So you must have learned um, 
quite a bit from um, the number of people that you, you spoke to there. Um, what would you say are some of the most important lessons that you did learn from that interview process? Absolutely. I've I've interviewed some outstanding individuals, people who I've truly, you know, come to value and can call friends. And it's just been an amazing journey. And I mean, I suppose right now the, the obvious thing would be to share a couple of tips on, you know, how to avoid your big mistake and everything. But the true caveat for the book is to try and get the young and the new entrepreneur to to embrace mistakes in a certain manner because from the outside looking in mistakes are scary we grow up in this world you know red ink on homework detention stand in the corner you lose jobs because of mistakes test scores everything like that but as soon as you start your own business and i'm sure your listeners and readers will um, agree if they've you know got a business of their own mistakes become some of your most valuable lessons they are often the thing that, you know, differentiates a good idea and turn it into a great idea. So, so what, this is kind of, sorry. No, that's okay. No, I was just, just going to ask um, what are a few of the um, um, the mistakes that resonated with you that um, you felt were the most pertinent to share with your readers? Well, there's so many. Um, <laughs> there's, everyone's absolutely different, which probably sounds a bit crazy when, you know, you think 150, you think, oh man, there's going to be some overlap, but there's not every story was so unique and different. I mean, there's patterns in it, sure. One that often comes about is the whole idea of making them first early hiring decisions. So I remember when I interviewed, um, Jordan Harbinger, who is the Art of Charm podcast, he talked about hiring friends and the dangers that had, and the way he had to overcome that was distancing himself from it and actually bring in someone to actually take control of the HR side of things so he wasn't getting caught up in these crazy, you know, emotional relationship type things. Um, also, Ramit Shala, who's one of the co-founders at Fueled, an amazing app agency in New York, which have the most incredible team page in the entire internet. I encourage people to check it out. It's so amazing. And his whole idea was, you know, he thought that he could um, hire a couple of junior back-end staff. He thought, I'm going to, you know, really concentrate on the front-end staff, make sure they're important hires. But he felt the back-end staff wasn't as important. He went down the junior and the intern route, and it ended up costing him so much more money in the long run. And he also ran into some issues when he took a similar approach for one of the two of the sales part of things. It, well, it's not just the salary that you lose when you're hiring, but it's for potential lost revenue too. So Remy um, came across quite a few issues in that regard, and he just completely changed his entire outlook on um, how to... Um, hire people going forward and now basically headhunts people and he's always on the lookout for his next big employee and he'll he'll hunt them down for a year before actually getting them sometimes and that's one of my podcasts if you check out the purple coffee podcast he's one of the um, earlier um, interviewees on that so it's an amazing journey another key pattern which i always like to share is just the whole idea of embracing yourself and i I particularly relate to this because that's what storytelling is all about if you can embrace yourself, you know, you are unique, you're going to be able to stand out and bit by bit, you'll be able to find that key audience or your tribe or whatever you want to call it. And what I've learned from people like um, Marianne Cantwell, who's an amazing nomad, who's part of the free human range website. She tried to fit into the, you know, the old school consultant vibe. She wasn't really enjoying it. 
and along the way she started to loosen out she started dressing a particular way she started using the language that suited her and she stopped worrying about all these rules and all these guidelines and was herself um lindsay brownson went down a similar route and lots of other people who just they spent months and i myself fit into this you know spent months trying to fit into you know this Mm. like I've got to be a particular way. I've got to dress a particular way. And I think we're all guilty of this in the early days. We try and, um, you know, live up to a certain kind of pedigree. But once you take a step back and start really asking big, important questions, like what is my definition of success? You know, what do I bring to the world? What is going to make me happy? And you start implementing that, then the rest of things start clicking into place. And you do start finding work that you find enjoyable. You usually will find that the work finds you because your you know your audience says well this is the kind of thing you should be sharing you know these are the kind of podcasts you should be creating these are the kind of pod um, courses blog posts whatever it might be so yeah letting go of those sort of preconceptions of you know the rules and the guidelines because you can read as many books as you want and just because it works for someone else doesn't mean it's going to work for you so i am um, particularly like what Lindsay said Lindsay brownson um, who's the owner of Spark Collaborative, a very cool sort of branding agency. And she talked about, you know, you've got to use everyone else's advice and all of these theories and rules that exist as just guidelines. And another thing that I, I like, it reminds me of what Srinivas Rao says about, you know, using things like that as a compass. You know, you need to know kind of where you want to go but it doesn't really matter how you get there. You can make it up as long as you go. You know, you need to head north. <laughs> you're ending up at X. But whether you take route A or B or C, it doesn't really matter. So, and, you know, it all comes into that. So just letting go of those crazy preconceptions and just embracing you, embracing your story. And that's something I particularly can relate to. And it's something I've found both on the journey for writing the success mistake but just living my own brand and working with clients on their own brand stories it helps you appreciate you know the value of you well it certainly sounds like you've had a lot of incredible conversations there um i mean to 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 interview 150 different successful entrepreneurs really is something special and um you know you must have taken an awful lot from that yourself i mean i know um you know i've really um got a lot out of interviewing people myself as well and um, i'm certainly for this project i've only or, or only interviewed but i mean I interviewed over 50 people already um and um the, the conversations i have has been probably even just as useful, if not more useful for myself, um, as it hopefully has been for the listeners as well. So I'd certainly encourage people um, within different businesses um, to have discussions and and interview um, hopefully their heroes or, or someone else within their marketplace as a way of broadening their own perspective from their own industry and just, just getting a different viewpoint from their own experience personally. Absolutely. I mean, I've always been someone who's valued relationships and connections, but since doing the project with a successful mistake, I've realized just how incredible relationships and connecting with people is. I mean, I've always said from day one, if this book sells no copies, it will still be worth it because of all the people I've got to meet and all these amazing stories that I've got to hear. 
And each time I do this and I log on and I Skype these folk, it's like having a little mini 30, 40 minute long um, consultancy call. And all of this adds up to probably in, I don't know, 50, 60, 100K. At some point, I'm going to add it all up and you know use something like clarity.com to, <laughs> to figure out how much free value I've actually got from all of this. And it is, it's amazing. You know, the tangibles in terms of the advice you get, but also the intangibles as well, just realizing that, I've ultimately been crowdsourcing this book all along because mm. people are invested in this book. They've, they're part of it. So they're going to have reason to share it with their own um, followers, their own audience members, their own readers. And that is just so valuable. So it's taught me a great deal about even if you can't necessarily get a client, I'm always, you know, emailing people who I think would be make a potential good client. And after two or three emails, I kind of take a step back and go, look, Maybe you don't need someone like me, but I would still love to buy you a coffee so I can learn what makes you as a business click and tick. Because I feel like you're the ideal kind of client for me. So if I can learn what makes you tick, maybe that will help me um, improve my pitch for the next one. And hopefully I can share a few ideas to make it worth your while too. So we, it's really helped me appreciate just how valuable relationships are and connections and I'm trying to constantly take that to the next level because where relationships and connections are, you know, good things just sit around the corner. You don't necessarily know when or how, but, you know, they're there. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I'm sure I could um, uh, discuss this topic with you for the next hour or so at least, mm. you know. But um, I'll tell you what, let's yep. segue into the second section of our discussion. And that focuses on your thoughts on where digital marketing has been and where it's heading. So starting off with... Software I couldn't live without. What software do you currently use in your business that if someone took away from you, it would significantly impact the success of your business? Well, I'm going to actually follow on with the idea of you know building relationships because I've fairly recently started using Contactually, which is a relationship CRM type um, software. It is. It's it's a fantastic piece of kit and. Basically, it works as a CRM system in the same sense. You know, it has it logs people's names and you know the emails that you send to people and their Twitter accounts and everything like you would expect from something like Salesforce or Insightly or um, is it is it Bootcamp? I think it might be called as well. There's lots and but lots. Of base, no Basecamp or Basecamp. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Basecamp. That's the one. They all basically do the similar things. But what makes Contactually, at least in my opinion, stand out, and it might not tick everyone's boxes, but it certainly has mine because of my you know, goal of, you know, really nurturing relationships. You can put different people into buckets. So, and it lets you know every morning with a bit of a reminder. It's like you haven't spoken to these five people who you consider warm leads or cool leads or, you know, fellow writers or friends, and you've not spoken to them for 30 days or 60 days. You know, you should really follow up and send them an email or write them a letter. Or I um, use something called mailview.com, which allows me to send video email. So and I find that much quicker than just writing an email. So every morning, you know, before I head out and, you know, do the daily grind, I, um, you know, will contact up to five to ten people who I've not spoken to for a little while and just sort of chime in, you know, see how they're doing. Maybe I've read a recent blog post of theirs. And using something like Contactually has helped me nurture these relationships. Not only is it fantastic from creating good relationships from the get-go and making sure that immediate email is right and you can put people into funnels so you know to follow up with them after a you know, set amount of time. And you can take different types of people on, on a different kind of journey. And you can do automated emails. I think you can link into you know, things like MailChimp, but it's more aimed at you know, creating personal emails. Mm. But it's really 
the thing that Brit makes it set out, in my opinion, is the way it allows you to nurture for existing relationships. So once you actually start a communication with someone, you're then able to just, you know, check in every now and then and just see how they are. And in my opinion, that is what sets you apart from 90% of the individuals out there because you're not just getting in touch when you need something. Mm. You're getting in touch just because you give a damn. And I got onto it from a guy, a fellow podcaster called John Cochran, such a great guy. When it comes to building relationships, he is incredible. And I take a great deal of inspiration from him. And you speak to someone like John, he will say just about all of his um, opportunities these days come from the relationships he builds. So if you were to take contactually away from me right now, it would really hamper things. Not necessarily in the immediate sense, because it doesn't necessarily bring me an immediate um, ROI. But, you know, for all the things that I've been building the last few months and all those potential opportunities in the coming weeks, months and years, man, an amazing piece of kit. And a slightly more challenging question. What software don't you use, but you've heard good things about and you've meant to try at some point in the near future? Oof, that is a tricky one. God, there's so, so many, isn't there? Mm. Um, I, I think in the long run, um, lead pages. Right. I, I really want to use lead pages and at the minute it's just a costing thing that holds me back um, probably because I wouldn't get enough out of it just yet in terms of um, you know I don't have enough online products to kind of make you know that the, the robust sort of process that it creates in the amazing landing pages but mm. I, I think it's super sleek and I think the more you get into that and especially when you start getting team members and you start outsourcing to freelancers or virtual assistants having something like um, lead pages or I know click funnels is just starting to, to come into being and that could be you know potential new kid on the block that disrupts lead pages right. it's very new so I'm not too sure but but yeah I, I love what Clay Collins does um, over there yeah. and what he's done before with um, the video version of lead pages was really cool and yeah just lead pages in general it's on my to-do list I'm, I really want to get set up on it in the future mm. and I can't wait to test it out and to be able to just take my landing pages and you know my call to actions to the next level and I'm always learning as an online and internet <laughs> marketer and I think lead pages will help me take it to the next level but That's yeah as of yeah. It's funny, yeah. I'm out of the all the people that have um, um, asked that to so far. Um, that's probably the most common um, answer for you know really? what software they would like to use. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I met Claycons myself actually in Sydney in Australia last year, and he is absolutely superb on talking about improving conversion rates. Um, so he's yeah. certainly a man that's really passionate about what he does. And um, um, from that, you know, I, I would certainly um, trust a piece of software that uh, that 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 he builds and um and, and markets um, i mean i have used it, it's called lead player um the, yes. vi- the video player you're talking about yeah, yeah absolutely i haven't quite used uh, lead play uh, lead pages itself yet but um that's on a, a list of possibilities for me in the future as well yeah i think it's one of those softwares where once you get to a, a certain level it just becomes a bit of a, a no-brainer especially when you're doing things like webinars because it just integrates with things like that and, you know, I, I know that it would help me take the next level. I've, I've not met Clay personally. He's certainly on my hopeful list, but he comes across as a very genuine and passionate guy. And, and yeah, he just shares so much great content over at Lead Pages. And, and yeah, they seem to be the kind of business that I like to you know, associate with. So, yeah, it's certainly one I hope to uh, be using in the next sort of 12 months, definitely. 
I wish I would have. I'd like you to look back on the very first day that you were involved in trying to market a business online. What didn't you do so well? What do you wish that you would have done differently? I think the overall answer there is probably everything. <laughs> and that's the most common answer to that one as well. <laughs> I would probably, um, it's, yeah, I don't know, maybe sleep in, have a few extra more hours of sleep. It <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't have made a fine bit. It's, I, I, I suppose ultimately when I started a business, no matter how well you think, you are prepared you always have this crazy notion of it's going to be different for me you know it's going to be easier you know you think oh it's going to be a tough couple of months but it's going to be easier for me and i i think i would have probably just spent it's, it's a difficult balance because if all you ever do is plan and don't do anything mm. then you know nothing ever gets done so that's so worth it. i mean that's like the worst event either just to plan 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 at some point you got to let it go but at the same time i think you also really need to get the feelers out there and try get as many people um, sort of behind what you're doing as possible. And it comes back to building relationships. So I think if I would have done it all again, I would have probably tried to stay and work a little bit longer and really sort of created a, a robust guest posting kind of strategy, you know, maybe start interviewing early, people earlier, really build them relationships and have all the, everything aimed towards just like, will you basically help me, you know, launch my blog or my business or whatever it would be in the most incredible way possible. So build the relationships first, build your own yes. personal authority before you start trying to offer your own services. It, it, absolutely. And, you know, exactly, I suppose, what I'm doing with the success mistake, you know, in the sense that I've, I've been building this crowd of people who are going to be invested and are going to be able to help me in some sense or another because they're involved in the book. Mm. And obviously, I mean, this has been like a two-year-long process so far. And this, I've only just started writing it. So it's a long process. And you wouldn't necessarily be able to take that kind of time when building a business. Mm. But a similar approach where I would have probably tried to come up with some kind of strategy to to get people invested in me and to get as many people involved as possible to, you know, direct, you know, their help onto, you know, my immediate success and have the free product, not a paid product in a sense. And I, I suppose just trying to have a foundation that didn't need money in the initial instance where I could just provide value and focus on that because I think money taints people. So whether that's, you know, savings or your carry on working, you know, a part time job for like the first six months. Um, but, yeah, I think those are the things I would have been done, you know, really put emphasis on providing free, free, really valuable, amazing stuff and build your relationships first. Because once you have those and you've got people investing in your sort of journey, then, yeah, more people are going to come your way. And at least that's what I found with people who do it. And. And you see it all the time these days with things like Kickstarter and Indiegogo. You put in the legwork first. You do a really robust, amazing campaign. And I think someone who's doing that right now, Manish Sefi, he's just um, been, well, he's currently running his Pavlok campaign. I don't know when this will go out. He's probably finished by then on Indiegogo. Absolutely smashed his target. But, you know, I follow Manish online and he's been working behind the scenes on all the PR side of things and getting people excited building an amazing project for like six months, 12 months. But he worked for a long time before that, just providing value and, you know, being, you know, the kind of person that he is. And it's all kind of come towards this moment, which, you know, the crowdfunding campaign is ultimately just the beginning, which will lead to, you know, the, the grander, more general release, which then will lead to, you know, 2.0 version. And you've got a really sort of funneled journey. But it all starts with relationships, building momentum and taking things from there.
the this or that round. So this is the quick response round. Ten quick questions. Try not to think about the answer too much. I'm just looking for your gut reaction. Ready to go? Oh, I'm going to try. Let's do this. Email or Twitter? Email. Audio or video? Video. Affiliates or display advertising? Affiliates. Facebook or Google Plus? Facebook. Online press releases or one-on-one relations? One-on-one relations. Paid search or SEO? SEO. Email contact form or telephone number? Email contact form. Website or app? Ooh, website. Social subscriber or email subscriber? Email subscriber. And local marketing or global marketing? Mm, Global. Straight through that without too many challenges. I'm really proud of myself right there. I'm usually so rubbish at stuff like that. The, the only one that you were thinking about, I think, most was website or app. Um, yeah. Why are we not too sure about that one? Um, because I suppose I spend all my time on apps and on my smartphone, but I, but basically I, I don't necessarily like to, you know, I, I find it's kind of like quick and simple. So if I come across an article or a website or a brand that I like, I'll send myself an email because I want to kind of be able to explore the website on my desktop. Mm. So I think apps and just general smartphone use, at least in this moment in time, maybe it'll change when HTML5 really kind of kicks into gear. Yeah. But it's good. It's a good discovery tool and scanning and kind of doing it. But when I really want to explore something and try and get into, you know, you know what that article is about, I want to, you know, read it later on my desktop and, and get a bit of a more overarching view, I suppose. So they the, work in conjunction with each other. You don't foresee a stage at some point in the future where one will win most and um, the majority of people will be spending most of their time on either websites or apps. I think, you know, the the trend of people spending time on smartphones is only going to go up. Mm. And, you know, especially when, you know, tablets and phablets and all these continue to get more popular, you know. But in terms of, you know, web use and app use, I think they both have their their time. I mean, I would never consider going on my smartphone on the Facebook website because I, you know, the Facebook app is so robust. But at the same time, I, I wouldn't want to download the Google app because, you know, I feel like going on to the website and just using the Google search and then kind of delving into that world is more appropriate. So I think horses for courses and at least for the foreseeable future, they both very much have a um, specific and robust lifespan. Absolutely. I mean, it just depends on ease of use, what you're trying to do with the thing. Um, and and this is a vastly, you know, quickly changing area of digital marketing. So um, your answer, of course, could be different in a year's time. And that's what makes oh, it interesting. Absolutely. I mean, you'd have asked me that question like three years ago. I'm sure it'd have been a totally different one. And you asked me in three years time, who knows? I mean, something might overtake something like apps. And, you know, something like HTML5 really does have the power to redefine how we use things, especially when Wi-Fi and download speeds become even more impressive than they are today. Um, Absolutely. I mean, if everyone's got access to 4G, for instance, you know, mm-hmm. then HTML5 and, uh, you know, will be much more important, um, especially if you've got direct access to the internet. And then perhaps, Absolutely. you know, apps won't be quite as important, but we'll see. We will see. <laughs> and that's what makes this age such an exciting one, because I look back, I'm, I'm always talking to people, I think back, well, Websites like Facebook and YouTube, they're they're barely a decade old. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wow, think about how important these are in so many people's lives. These are like literally 
staple parts of our diets, yet 10 years ago they weren't really in existence, at least uh, other than, you know, small quantities of people. And back in, you know, you go back generations, things took a lot longer to, you know, really truly establish themselves. Whereas these days, you know, they can become, you know, staple parts of our diets within six months a year. The $10,000 question. If I was to give you $10,000 and you had to spend it over the next few days on a single thing to grow your business, what would you spend it on and how would you measure success? Um, it's a tricky one. I, I would probably, I'm, I'm at the minute really trying to take what I do with brand story videos to the next level in client work. So that 10 grand would really help me. Um, in terms of the you know hardware and the software to kind of take that side of things to the next level, um, but I suppose if I was to be looking at a more general overview of the website uh, of like my business in general, I would put a lot of it into things like you know VAs and you know freelancing mm. and just really whittling down how I use things. So I'd probably spend tend a couple of days to really strategize, move forward, and be like, right, what can I spend this on? in bringing other people into my time, into my team, to, to make sure that my time is being used to the best possible ability and that I've got the right software and processes in place to make sure um, as efficient now and going forward. So hardware-wise and in terms of toys, it would all go on video and soft video hardware and software. In terms of bigger picture things, yeah, VAs and just making sure I've got you know the tools in line to, to take me to the next level. I like um, the fact that you mentioned those things, actually, hardware and um, VAs, because um, I used to phrase the question by saying on a single digital marketing activity, um, but now I've changed it to on a single thing to grow your business, you know, purposely so that you can actually talk about anything. Because, I mean, some people have been talking about things like um, going on holiday and actually uh, taking a a plane to, to interview other people. Um, But that's not necessarily a digital marketing activity. However, it can impact your success online. So it's perfectly valid, obviously. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things you could sign up. So you go into things like South by Southwest and World Domination Summit and Mm. all these kind of things for a year. And, you know, that would be such an amazing thing to spend 10 grand on too because, you know, again, that just feeds into the relationships you can build and the connections you can expand. So there's a few different routes to go, but... You know, I think, um, yeah, if I had that, it would have to either go on the hardware to take what I'm doing with video to the next level or just to generally organize my life and take, you know, just my daily day to the next level. But, you know, to do that, you'd need some VAs and freelancers and whatnot. (laughs) My number one takeaway. Well, Matthew, you've offered a lot of great advice in our conversation, but what's the number one takeaway? What's the single most important step that our listeners need to implement uh, within their own businesses? Man, what I kind of say to people is, you know, just value the relationship. So don't just kind of wish that you knew people. Like, go out there and do something. I mean, your listeners right now could spend a few minutes just writing a list of five people they would love to connect with over the next, you know, two months, three months, six months. And, you know, don't put a limit on it and let it be something crazy like Richard Branson or be something a bit more niche, a bit smaller. But then, like, right, what can I do to connect with them? You know, reach out to them on social media, provide value and just try and build connections. I think if you can change your mindset over, you know, the coming sort of weeks and months to 
always think, how can I nurture this relationship? If someone says no to me as a client and I'm not going to be able to get money out of them, don't just kind of go, right, that's it, I don't want to know you. Think about how else you could gain value from them. So, yeah, just really think about who you'd like to connect with, like limit it to three or five people, try and provide as much value to them, build connections. And I think once you start building a few connections with three people, then five and then ten, like I have, and I'm sure you will say the same with everything that you've done, you quickly realize just how powerful they are. And you're always thinking, yes, say yes to opportunity, you know, be open-minded to it. Always think, well, I want to build a relationship with this person. I don't want to just kind of have something where I can buy, oh, yeah, I know David because I spoke to him once. I want to know David to a sense where I'm speaking to you, you know, every few weeks because that could be the difference between me having a client in like two years time and that client could be worth like a hundred K to me, mm. you know, but it's also the, you know, the intangible as well as you've just got another person who is like-minded and who you can fall back on and, you know, help expand your own ideas. I wouldn't be anywhere right now if it wasn't for all the stories I'd unearthed from the people I've interviewed and from the value I've taken from those connections. Absolutely. You know, I mean, if, if I, you know, talk to you on a regular basis, it wouldn't necessarily even be business that I could do with you in the future. But um, because of that relationship, you might recommend someone else to deal with me. So Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I would like to think that if I connect with a thousand people over the next five years and, and you know, build genuine relationships with those people, that a tiny perspective percentage might be actually people who would need me physically they might need me every now and then and my advice and you know to do a bit of consultancy but for the most part you know you want to build relationships so when you know they meet someone else who might need it or they come across something in social media you're the kind of person where they're saying i can't help you but you should check out matthew turner because this is the kind of thing he loves and you know that's the kind of thing i see in you know like facebook groups and on twitter And that only happens when you start a relationship with individuals. And the tight relationships you can build, the more opportunity you're going to get. But the intangibles will always far outweigh the tangibles. They might not lead to clients, but they will lead to ideas and collaborations and just inspiration and lessons learned. And that could be the difference between you wasting, you know, a thousand pound on your next product launch because you built a relationship with someone who said, whoa, that's a good idea, but you shouldn't do this because I did that like two years ago and it didn't work. And if you didn't have that relationship, that's a thousand pound loss there and then. So, yeah, the value of building connections is just or priceless, as MasterCard would say. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, this has been really great, but I mean, that, that takes us towards uh, the end of our discussion today. But um, thank you so much for your time, your focus and your advice. You know, what's the best way for our audience to find out more about you and what you do? Oh, sure. It's been an absolute pleasure, David. Really happy to, to be on here and to connect with you all. My website's turndogmillionaire.com. And like I said, my main project at the minute in terms of a book is Success Mistake. If you type in bit.ly forward slash Success Mistake, you'll be taken to the Success Mistake video and the landing page. I'm at the process of writing it right now. I've come towards the end of the interviews. And I encourage readers like people who are watching this who are interested in you know what it's like to be in the beginning of an entrepreneurial journey what it's like to be in the writing process i'm opening the entire uh, writing process up and encouraging people to get involved and help me it's it's the literal definition of a crowdsourced book in the sense that i'm trying to involve as many people to share 
uh, two cents and hopefully by launch day you will feel like it's your book as much as it is mine and, and what i will say is if you do go to bit.ly forward slash success mistake and sign up it's you know free email you'll get weekly updates from me and a whole bunch of freebie goodies come launch just make sure that you know you send me a tweet or something or you know hit reply on the first email and say that you know, you found me through David's podcast. I'm always keen to to learn where they come. And I'm, I'm sure you, David, would love if I send you an email and said, such and such just signed up through your podcast. Absolutely. Things like that makes us feel amazing, doesn't it? It would, it would do indeed, you know. So, so please, yeah. um, Mr. Such and Such, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> yes, just let us know. And, and, and obviously, once you hit reply, then our own connection can begin. So, so yeah, check, check that out. And, and yeah, you know, anytime you've got any question about brand storytelling, just you know, reach out to me. And as you've hopefully learned by now, I'm, I'm all about relationships and connections. So I'm pretty open and, um, yeah, approachable. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. Well, thanks again, Matthew. Thank you, David. Pleasure. Digital marketing radio.